Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and whether you're a regular listener or if this is your first time, it's great to have you here with us today. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guests that we feature every week. And remember to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. It only takes a minute and it would mean a lot to us. And if you haven't already got the best-selling grow books, you can order them from growmysalonbusiness.com. So with that said, on with today's show. Some hairdressers have a specific niche or niche, depending on where you're from, that they focus on, whether it's education or color or barbering, or perhaps it's product development or photographic work or entering competitions. And others are involved in everything that the industry has to offer. My guest on today's podcast is involved in everything. He is Bruno Mark Giamatte of the multi-award-winning Mark Anthony Salons in the south of England. And Bruno, along with his family and a great team, have created a fabulous business that excels in multiple areas of the hairdressing industry. Like everyone, Bruno and his team have been hit hard by COVID, but on today's podcast, he openly shares everything that has made the business successful, and he also talks openly about the challenges that they continue to deal with along the way. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss family businesses, building great team culture, hairdressing awards, dealing with no-shows, starting your own product line, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Bruno. Hi, Anthony. Thank you. And um, I'm looking forward to this. Well, I am too. I know we've had a little bit of a warm-up chat before I started recording. Uh, so I'm very excited to talk about all the things that we're going to. So uh, it's great to finally uh, to get you on the podcast. So um, let's just start off the way I usually start off with by getting you to sort of introduce yourself. So, you know, who is Bruno Mark? Give us your sort of two-minute um, backstory, and then we will start to dig into all that and, and get you to flesh it out a lot more. Okay. Well, my father, with my name, obviously, is Italian. And he came over from Italy um, over some 60-odd years ago. He opened up his first salon, called it Mark Anthony, which he named after his two boys, me being Bruno Mark and my brother, Simon Anthony. And... As we progressed and then left school, we both ended up, me and Simon, in the business. And my father retired at an age, I'm speeding on quickly, but he retired at the age of 50, which meant I was 30. Myself and Simon took over the business and we only had two salons at that point. And we grew the company to seven strong salons and everything was going pretty well. And then Simon had a few issues with his illness and then we cut back the sounds down to five, and now we have four. And, uh, yeah, that's basically us in a nutshell. 
Great. Okay. So family business, lots of fun always. Uh, we'll dig into that more for sure. Um, and so there's four brothers in total. There's there's yourself, Bruno, your brother, Simon, you've just alluded to, um, Aaron and Marcus. Is and that Marcus. all Is that all the yeah, siblings? That's, yeah, that's the four of us. Aaron and Marcus are 10 years younger than me and Simon. Me and Simon, that's 18 months between us. And it's right. weird because Aaron and Marcus, there's 18 months between them as well. Right. Okay. Well, we won't go there. We won't go into that. Um, was it was it ever a consideration that you wouldn't go into here and that the, the brothers wouldn't be hairdressers? Was that ever a consideration? Or well, we like we destined? all had different. We all had different plans, and we, I mean, myself, I was literally it was football, one hundred percent football, and then I had an accident. Cut the story short. I ended up working with my father, um, and it, he. He was old school barbershop where everything was back in the day was, would you like something for the weekend, sir? It's Italian barbers. They were smoking in the salon. Yeah. It was very old school and I just could not stand that. And then, so I went to London and I uh, trained with Allen International in Hammersmith. And I then came, once I qualified, I came back and worked with my father. And uh, yeah, it it was not like hairdressing is now. We never had appointment systems. People, we had like 10, 11 waiting chairs and people would just come in, wait on the chair and we just cut all day long. Yeah. And do everything like that. That's how it was back then. Not yeah. all computerized and fancy coffees and, you know, head massages and all the rest of it. Yeah. So you started off uh, in barbering. I, I, when I trained in London with Allen International, I did both unisex. And I remember coming into my father's salon when I left London, the barber's salon, and I had those tiny little Joe Wow scissors. Do you remember them? Yeah, yeah. I had them too, they, yeah. They, they were this blades. big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, everything precision and small. And my dad in Italian said, man, magic, this is rubbish. Go and get some six-inch well on the scissors where you can do a couple of snips. The haircut was done. And yeah, we were banging them out at 10 and 15 pounds. Yeah, you know, and that's how it was back then. Well, is so, your dad still alive? Yes, he is. Yeah, my dad is exactly twenty years older than me. He's right. seventy-eight. So yeah, yeah Great. does alive. he does he still do hair at all? No, no, no. Obviously, when we go round for dinner, he always gives us, you know, the Italian Godfather speech, how we should yeah, yeah. do things now. And <laughs> in my day, it was like this. It's it's, yeah. it's totally different. I think if my father was in the salon nowadays with I mean, we've got like full-time HR now, which he didn't have. I yeah. think he'd be in court every other week. Without right. a doubt. Okay. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that must be interesting for him though. You know, I mean, the business yeah. that you've got is a very different business, you know, to what he had. So when did you, whose idea was it to, to, you know, when you started off working with him in a barbershop, whose idea was it to start segueing into it being a ladies salon as well, which is what it predominantly is now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he opened up um, the men's side. And then when I joined the company, I said, we could do ladies. So we had the shop next door. And they were right next door to each other. He bought the shop next door and it was ladies. And you used to have to walk out the front door to go into the men's. So when you weren't busy with appointments on the ladies, you'd walk out the front door and then go on to the men's because that was no appointments and just work on the men's in between. Yeah. And then as we progressed, my father knocked the wall through and joined them. But back then it was very, there wasn't many unisex sounds. It was men and ladies. It was separate. Yeah, 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 cool. So then when we knocked it through the wall and had, 
you had men sitting there on one side and seeing all the ladies. It was a bit uncomfortable at first because the ladies had all their rollers in because it was the days when we had like 12 hood dryer banks and they come yeah. in, you know, for their weekly set, as it were then. Yeah. So it was very different. Okay. And I know Marcus is predominantly, well, he has a real passion for the barbering side of the business, one of your brothers. Have, have yeah. you ever considered opening a barbershop again, like a modern barbershop, or have they remained like a, a sort of a unisex business? We, we've always been down the route of unisex. And I think the reason being is because we broke, I broke away from my father um, in my 20s and I got a tiny little salon up Cemetery Junction in Reading and we called it Bruno Mark Barbershop. Yep. And I remember me, it literally had three chairs and there was me and one girl in there. And I, when I look back, it was like a sweatshop. I was doing 30 to 35 heads a day. Yeah. And when I listen to these barbers now and they have half hour, 40 minutes to do a man's hair, I'm thinking, yeah. oh my God, how do they make any money? Yeah. I was charging back then £8.50 for a dry cut and it was £10 for a shampoo and cut. Yeah. And it was, it, we just churned them out. And it was a case of doing 25, 30 haircuts every day. And on a yeah. Saturday, I think the most I ever done in one Saturday was about 38 gents. Yeah. But that's how it was then. We, yeah, we exactly. just worked and it, it was constant. And so you'd have, when, are you, when are you talking? The 70s or? Um, early, uh, early 80s, yeah. 80s. Early 80s, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. early wow. 80s. Okay. Yeah. And so, so. You, there's never been any thought about going back to, you know, with the way barbering has evolved about doing no. a, sort of a modern take on a barbershop? No, because I feel with, with ladies and unisex, we have, like, for example, our fleet salon, we've had uh, Turkish barbers open up right next door. Okay. And it, it doesn't worry me at all because our gentleman clientele come for the whole salon experience. They like the head massage. They like, yeah. you know, and our price is £55. Next door is £20. Yeah. So they've got a choice. So that's mm. not my clientele. And yeah, they have yeah. to do double to what I do to make the money. And I feel going back to my working in the sweat box when I was young, I'm like, do I, I could, you know, making that money back then, doing 10 haircuts to make a hundred pounds. Mm. Yeah. Whereas I do one haircut now and I get 120 pounds. So yeah, obviously yeah. things have evolved and it's just changed now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So with a, with a family business, there's obviously advantages. There's obviously disadvantages as well. I'll get you to talk about those in a minute. But between the four brothers, how do you work out the different sort of roles, goals and responsibilities? I mean, what is, what is your role? What is Simon's role? What is Marcus's role? What is Aaron's role? It's always, it's always been, I mean, obviously me and Simon started the business. We, we took it forward and, and Aaron was, was a professional football player and played okay. for Reading and he got released in his twenties and then came into the business. But this was after he then left football and he became um, studied as a physiotherapist and he had the opportunity. He was working as a phys physiotherapist to go into business. They offered him a partnership, but it was weekends and evenings and all these silly hours. And I, and I basically said to him, why don't you come into hairdressing? It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, we've got this, we've got that. You can earn you know, just as much, but you can have your, more time to yourself. And he then agreed. He went on a course to Sassoon's in London, the 32-week course, and he came out. And obviously, because he was like in his mid-20s, a lot more mature, 
So he yeah. picked it up very quickly. And within two years, he was running a salon. And we gave him the Bracknell salon to run. And then Marcus, my younger brother, that was already in a hairdressing. He, we then went and expanded to the fleet salon where Marcus works now. Okay. And, and do, you, do, do you have radically different skills between the four? Yeah. Like who looks so, after the business side of things? Yeah. So, so going back to what you're saying, so Simon mainly takes care of all the business side and all the figures, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of the re- resource and they call it, I do the arty farty stuff, the yeah. show work, the imagery, everything else with Marcus. And then Marcus Naren that train all our youngsters MBQ level. So every Tuesday and Wednesday, all our juniors from our branches go to the salon and they have Marcus training them all day or they have Aaron training them all day. And it alternates. So if one has Aaron on a Wednesday, then the following week, the group that had Marcus on the Tuesday will have um, Aaron on that Wednesday. So we constantly train them the whole full day. Right. Okay. So what, what are some of the challenges with having a family business. And remember, your family are going to listen to this. <laughs> uh, uh, do you know, obviously, look, my father's Italian. We come from Italian background where we've always eaten a mix around the table. Yeah. And we're, everything is said at the dinner table. So, yeah, we, we have our, like, we have our arguments. Believe you mm-hmm. me, I mean, I remember when we joined a company called um, Independent Franchise Group, which was run by Brian Willoughby. And he came to our first meeting, giving us business advice. And he couldn't believe the shouting and yelling because we're four mm. brothers. And that's what it, that's how we've always done it. And that's how we grew up around the table. <laughs> but yeah. nothing, nothing is held. It's not carried on. We have our say, we move on, it's done. Um, but I'd say we are really strong and tight. For, we mix together regularly. We're around each other's houses for barbecues or pizzas. And, you know, yeah. business is one area and we, no, and we deal with it, be it ups or downs, but we're as tight as anything when it comes to family. Right. And I know that, you know, uh, that your wife um, and uh, Simon's wife, Julie, uh, are both involved in the business as well. So are they on the hair side or do they look after the, the so business? All, things, what? all the wives of the brothers are involved in the business. So you've yep. got Julie, Simon's wife, and Sue, Aaron's wife. They take care of all the you know the mundane stuff all the bills everything we've got a head office in henley and they work with another pa that we've got because there's three of them and then we've got julie uh, sorry then we've got my wife and marx's wife marie they work in the salons as receptionists and um, they take care of front of house so and then aaron's got his son that's in the business the next generation i've got my daughter that runs the Henley salon and Simon's got his daughter, which is a hairdresser and she's working in Abu Dhabi. So, you know, we've got the next generation. So it's like the yeah, third generation fantastic. now. That's good. So, I mean, it's, it's probably an obvious answer to this question. Uh, what are the upsides of having a family business? You know, when you're not there, you've got people you can rely on yeah. hundred percent. And obviously I've got some great managers, which I trust, but, you know, I know when I'm away for two weeks, I mean, Simon goes away for six weeks at a time and he never, he never has a call. Yeah. And I think that is a great asset to add because you know it's in safe hands. And when they go away, because each brother has four weeks here, six weeks there, they can yeah. have the time off and there is nothing to worry about. And the business is still in and the money while they're not there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Righto. So um, let's just have a, a little bit of a chat about the dreaded COVID um, because I know that's impacted on, well, it's impacted on every business everywhere on planet Earth. Um, has, has COVID impacted on your salon group? It, it's been our worst 16 months I've ever known in business, full stop. I mean, I had a great team. Before COVID, we had five busy, successful salons. We set up like everybody, you know, WhatsApp group chats. We were, you know, doing pizza evenings. We were chatting with them. We do quizzes. We were constantly in contact with them all because some of them had a little bit of stress and anxiety. And we nurtured them when they all came back. And then the, the second lockdown after we came back in April, our 70 team, slowly started handing in their notice and from 70 team members I'm down now to 34 and I've had to close down a good salon that I had for 10 years a good profitable salon which was 10 years old and I was about to sign the new five-year lease but I had to let it go due to no staff and I was advertising for three months and I've not had a stylist not one come through the door really my god okay so, so I, I mean you I have it's changed yeah it's changed I mean, massively for me uh, our American and Australian audience won't necessarily be that familiar with the Mark Antony brand, but um, you know you have a very high-profile, multi-award-winning, very, very creative reputation. If that's happening to you, then God knows what's happening to other people. So, so you've almost halved your staff. Yeah, you've gone yeah. from seventy to thirty-four. Well, you have. Yeah. You have half your yeah. staff. Yeah. So wh- yeah. Wh- where do they go? Do they leave the industry or are they doing hair from we home? Had, or we have are they a opening up mixture. their own? We've had a couple of them set up in a garden in their conservatory. Yeah. Um, some have set up their own Instagram accounts and doing all the clients mobile. Yeah. And I think, yeah, look, for all the people that have left me, I appreciated they were with me for those 10, 12, 15 years. Yeah. yeah. And I, I understand. And everyone, you know, I'm talking to people, hairdressers, salon owners, even they now are saying, I want to do something different. I think everybody has had a lot of time in these 15, 16 months to realize mm. that hairdressing is not the be all and end all of everything. And they're choosing different cho- choices in life. I mean, one of my friends who's got a salon, a successful salon, just closed it down and taken a year out and gone abroad traveling. And I think that's amazing but it takes courage to do that. I just feel our industry at the moment, the young people are not coming in because young hairdressers get paid X and you can go and stack shelves for nearly double that. And everything, a lot of the young people, they want things now. Yeah. They don't want the journey of two years before they get the big reward. And, you know, one of my friends sent his girl to a salon. She was getting paid X. And then she left and she's gone to work for Amazon and she's getting paid three times that amount. Mm. So this is what we're competing with. So the industry, I think, has to change. It has to pay the young people more. I mean, our county is a company. We already pay our young people more than the average salon because we rely on them to grow our business. They are the future of our business. We are so big on the training and education because without the young ones, you, you haven't got a future business. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, what do you think 
you know, the, what impact is this going to have on the future of the industry? You have a brand like yours that's losing half of its team in a in a uh, eighteen month period. Um, I mean, that's unsustainable for the industry. I mean, you hear. I mean, th- I, I don't doubt your figures for one second. Um, and it's that's what one of the challenges is in this industry is it's actually getting accurate statistics. Whether you're talking in the US or whether you're talking in the UK or Australia, it's really hard to get good, reliable industry statistics. I did. I got one you may have listened to when I interviewed Richard Lambert from the, the uh, National Hairdressing Business Federation yeah. in the UK. He, he said to me that the, the figure that he would say is fairly reliable is something like 8,000 salons in the UK have closed or just never reopened uh, due directly due to because of COVID. I mean, that's there's an upside to that in that people are still going to get their hair cut. So does that mean that the businesses that are left, you know, do better and they attract more staff and they well, attract I mean, clients? But I also think, I mean, we've had a lot of emails from our regular clientele saying they're still too nervous to come in back to the salon at the moment. Still. Still. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's more from our over 60 clientele, you know, they, they've emailed and said, you know, Bruno, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. And yet our salons are PPE. We got masks. We've had visors. In fact, it was only lifted a few weeks ago that we don't have to wear um, a visor and a mask, but we emailed all our clients and emails we got back from clients is that we'd appreciate if you would keep your mask on because we wouldn't want to come to you. So we've asked all our clients, We'd appreciate if you'd wear a mask to safeguard others. But you have some situations in our salons where clients walk in, they won't wear a mask, they don't want to wear a mask. And as a hairdresser, we're in a position where we're chasing the money because of the debt we're carrying now. So we're trying to, you know, look after that client that does not want to wear the mask. But then we've got another client that's saying, you know, if I don't want to sit away from that client, then I won't be coming here next time. So you know, it's a balance and it's because the government has given the decision to us. So therefore, if when you're running a business, I preferred it when he said everyone had to wear a mask and everyone had to wear a visor. It was law. It was easier for us. Now we're having to put out these little fires within our salon group because there's clients that do not want to wear a mask and there's clients that do. Yeah. So it is hard. Okay. You're very well uh, known and very well respected in the industry, and especially in the UK. And I know you do a lot of international work as well, but, you know, in the UK, everyone knows who you are. Um, And so you're very well connected with what's happening out there. Do you think what's happening, what's happened to you, like losing half your staff, selling a business is a typical scenario that there are lots of people that you talk to that are in the same situation? I'm, I'm on um, Salon Unite, which is a website, and I see it constantly, people saying, I had four stylists, one junior, I furloughed them 100%. I've come back, two of them have gone into business on their own, and the other one's on mobile. I've now just got me and the junior. I'm really down. I'm thinking of selling my business. But you can't sell the business if you haven't got no people working in it. Yeah. You know, I got rid of a business. I couldn't sell it. It, we had to act quickly. It we had good turnover. It had good business coming through the door. But if you mm. haven't got the people, that that phrase, you're only as good as your team, is so relevant with me now. I understand yeah. it completely. And But I've never taken my team for granted. I've always paid them, which I thought was, you know, good wages. And like mm. you said, you're going to touch on that later. But, 
you know, I just feel people have wanted to do different things. I mean, even myself, I've said to, to the wife, you know, <clears> we could do this, we could sell this, we could go here, we could do that. You know, even I've had a thinking of doing other things. You know, mm. I, I dabble in property. I'm thinking, should I do more in property so that I've got a safer future? Because hairdressing, I really, it's on a massive change from the manufacturers and the hair salons because now the manufacturers support the Instagram hairdresser, not the salon hairdresser. And obviously they've got to be open, but that's supporting a guy which or a lady that's on Instagram and got 15, 20,000 followers, but they have not got a salon. It used mm. to be in my day, if you had a salon with an X amount of spend and you had a good profile, they were the people you want. Now, if you've got 50,000 followers and you're doing YouTube and blah, 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 it seems that they are the people they want. So it's having a shift from the manufacturers as well. Mm. I feel okay. it's a big change. I mean, I'm old school, you know, I wasn't brought up with a mobile phone until I was in my 30s. But yeah. now the youngsters, when I take on a new person of 16, 17, I'm not taking on them. I'm taking them on and their best friend, their mm. best friend being the mobile. And if yeah, I yeah. do not let them constantly speak or have contact with their best friend throughout the day, then mm. they would leave me. So yeah. it's very difficult. And um, there's new challenges all the time. And mm. I'm constantly looking for the answers. I'm speaking to all my friends in the industry. I've had a little dabble at YouTube. I'm on Instagram. I'm trying to do all the things to keep it cool and fresh. Mm. Mm. But in the same sense, having your Instagram accounts with all your Mark Anthony salons and then having your team that lock into that and then they set up their own. And then when your clients, because they, your clients come to Mark Anthony, but then they go to that stylist more than two or three times. And when that stylist links in and they set up their own Instagram account, then my clients can now, or according to the stylist, it's their clients, not my clients, now mm. see them and they disappear with a chunk of my business. It's yeah. like I'm an Instagram detective now. Mm. When I speak to some of my other salon friends that got salons, they say, well, I'm always on Instagram, seeing if Shelly's doing this or Michael's doing that. Because yeah. you worry because we've built this, you know, social media network now to grow our businesses. Mm. But in the same time, and I also mm. feel with, the people going away and doing their own thing. In my day, if you did a mobile, it was five pounds back mm. in the day. We built a society of hairdressing where people are charging 75, 85 pound a haircut. So if they go mobile, they can charge 60 or 50 pound a haircut. And then mm. the client will pay them in, you know, good money and they give them a tip as well. And it can all be their money. Whereas, sure. as you know, in the salon, I've got VAT 20%. I've got 48% wage bill. You know, my mm. other bills and sundries, if I make seven, eight pence out of a pound, then I'm doing well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm going to dig into that more uh, shortly, but I, I wanted to ask you about uh, something you just touched on social media. And I saw something that you had on social media probably a couple of weeks ago uh, where you were very forceful, let me put it that way, about uh, you were now charging for no-shows. And oh, I, was, yeah. I was so glad the way you'd written it and how, yeah. how forceful you were about it. Um, I, and that's I what so made me... so much response from that, yeah. Good, good. So talk to us about that. Tell us about what caused that and what, what sort of well, response you had. We, we, we were having lots of no-shows, colour jobs, balayage, this, that and the other. And it was happening every week. And I kept talking to the manager and saying, we're going to have to take deposits, we have to take deposits. And, but they're regulars. They, it's the first time they've done it. They're regulars, they're regulars. And so 
when I look back, it was all regulars that this was mm. happening with. People that have been coming to us 10, 15, 20 years. And when I put that rant out there, it was a particular Saturday where I had three o'clock clientele booked in and they were a couple and their bill would have been over 360 pounds. And it would have taken me up to six o'clock and they never turned up. And at 3.15, I called them and said, hi, blah, blah, blah. It's Bruno. Are you a little bit delayed? Is everything okay? And, oh, Bruno, we totally forgot. So-and-so took the boat out on the river because it was such a nice day and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I just thought, and I went, okay, no problem. They said, can we book for next week? Yeah, no problem. So we book it in for the following week. And I put the phone down and I was so angry. I had yeah. red flames coming out of my ears mm. because I felt as hairdressers, already I feel in society, we are, we're lower yeah. down the ladder and yeah. our time is not valued. Mm. And I feel my time is so valuable. Yeah. And now it's 3, 3.15 or nearly 3.30 on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. I've got no one to, to telephone because, yeah. and people won't phone in for Bruno because they know I'm booked up for time mm. in advance. So it was time wasted. So then rather than me just sit with the flames coming out, I went onto the computer and I looked back from that day to April the 12th and just my Henley salon had 8,900 pounds of no-shows. So then I looked on the computer to see the percentage of new clients. We had one or two that were brand new clients. The mm. rest were all regulars. Mm. So I thought, this is disastrous. So then I went back and I looked into the other salons. And the other salons were six, seven, five thousand pounds. So I thought, Christ, this is, this is disastrous. Yeah. So I basically put it out there, right, as from Monday morning, we are taking a 40 pound deposit on every technical service. Mm -hmm. We take 20 pound deposit now on consultations because I used to get consultations that were booked in for 30 minutes and then not show. So we've done that. And basically, we've got a computer system set up now that if one person does not show, the next time they go to book an appointment, no one can book them in unless they take 50% deposit because they've had a no-show. Mm. So that is how we've gone. Since that's been in place, which is now, I think it's over four weeks now, we've not had one no-show. Fantastic. So Fantastic. So it what has made, have you had with regular clients when you tell them, you know, we, we have to we, get e deposit? So we emailed that week, mm. the following week, we emailed all our clients and on our database. And we had two clients that came back, only two saying, this is disgraceful. Why do I have to pay? Blah, blah, blah. And rather than email those clients back, uh, Sue actually called them because we had their telephone numbers. And she explained the situation. I think I've explained it to you sure. about we've had th this amount of loss. We've lost a lot of team members. We've got a big debt now. Um, due to COVID and we can't afford the loss. And I'm mm. really sorry, but you know, we know you've been a good little client and you haven't let us down, but in the future, it's something we have to do moving forward to protect our business. And they accepted Definitely. it and they understood. Good, good. So, oh, that's great. And I, and I think that when we get to the other side of this, that that will be one of the good things about COVID that you will keep that in pr in place, but this is oh, what yeah, you 100%. do from here on in. You pay a take take a deposit. So good on you. Yeah. And I thought your your post about that was was uh, re really well done. So um, our, our American Australian audience won't know the plethora of awards that you have. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them your uh, your website details. Mark Anthony M A R C 
uh, A-N-T-O-N-I, isn't it? .co.uk. So, and I'll also put, I'll put your website in my, in the show notes and I'd encourage everyone to go and check it out because you will see some stunningly beautiful hair done by uh, Bruno Mark and the whole Mark Anthony team. I know you've got some phenomenal talent there. I always love what I see Dan doing and uh, and Elton as well. I think that yeah. you know you've got some incredibly creative uh, uh, people on your team, and the photographic work that you produce is is just phenomenal. Um, and rightly so, you win all these awards and the, the British Hairdressing Awards and have done consistently. So what I wanted to ask you about was how important are awards now? Because I get the feeling that in this age of social media, and you've sort of touched on this already, that whereas 20 years ago, people were really, really driven by awards. Everybody was. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think there's a percentage of people now that their award is having 20,000 followers on Instagram and that they're more sort of interested in totally, that. Do you think there's truth to that? I, to- I totally agree with you, 100%. Hmm. The awards now, and, and I think going back, I mean, I've been doing the British Hairdressing Awards for 20 years. But going back then, I mean, my first time I entered the British Hairdressing Awards was 2000 and yeah, 2001 or 2000. Mm. And it took me until 2007 to win my first award. But then the British Hairdressing Awards, sponsored by Schwarzkopf Professional and Hairdressers Journal International, were the creme de la creme award. That was the pinnacle award to win. Mm. And you could shout about it from the rooftops. Now, there are so many awards, so many industry magazine awards. There are, you know, the PPI awards, this international awards. Everybody now is an award-winning hairdresser. If you go on anyone's social media site, you are an award-winning hairdresser. Mm-hmm. I asked a question to a certain person, um, and I won't say his name, who owned a top magazine. I said, what is the credible award to win? Because... In my eyes, Australia is, I've obviously been there and I've been lucky enough, the Australian Hair Awards is the pinnacle award of what I know of. And in England, it's the British Hairdressing Awards. Or in the UK, it's the British Hairdressing Awards. But then everybody now has have got an award. And I don't think that's wrong. Um, but, you know, I think the prestige has been taken out of it a little bit because people can enter their colour award or their images in the British Hairdressing Awards and it not win. They can be finalised and then they go and enter it next month in that award and it wins. Mm. So it, it's kind of, you know, it deflates it. And hitting on Instagram and social media and YouTube, now going back to the manufacturers, they love people that got 50,000 followers on YouTube mm. and doing this. They find them more valuable than someone that's spending 250K with them that runs a salon group, you know? So... It, it's it's the way it's going and um, right or wrongly, we've just got to accept it. But I will always enter the British Hairdressing Awards. Mm. And I, I, to me, I hold that award in the highest esteem. We entered a game this year and we got nominated for artistic team. And I was so proud because that they had over 46 entries this year for artistic team. And I think everybody in, in the kitchen sink through it, artistic team. So, I was fortunate to be one of the judges, but obviously I couldn't judge artistic team. 
Mm. And when I came back from the Epsom race course, all my art guys out in dance, what do you think of our art team shoot? I said, guys, I haven't got a clue. I mm. said, there were so many entries this year. It was so diverse. I said, I was drawn to ours. I loved ours. But I said, I haven't got a clue if we make the top six. Mm. And then we had the, the message and we got in the final six. So, Fantastic. you know, that's an honour. We've mm. been nominated eight times for artistic team. We've, we've won many awards. If we won it again this year, it would be the Hall of Fame. So that mm. would be us finish them for three years. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember Alton saying to me years ago, because Alton and Dan have been with me since they were young boys. And now they're both 36. And they've been with me since they were 15, 16. And Alton said to me years ago, when we entered artistic team, he said, we've got no chance because we're up against you know, the wrath of Tony and Guy and Rush and they've got a hundred salons and this and that and the other. And I said, Alton, they've got one art director. Cos Sakos is the art director of Tony and Guy. Andy Yeesman, who's a good friend, both of them are great friends of mine, is the art director of Rush. I'm the art director of Mark Anthony. It is us three and you being my team and their team and we go to work. Mm. And it's who produces the best. So don't think it's because we've only got five sounds and they've got a hundred. It makes them that much stronger. It's about what we create on the day. And then when we won it, and then when Mm. we won, the year we won was, uh, it was phenomenal. And um, Altin, I remember him coming up to me, so I can't believe it. We've actually our artistic team of the year in the UK Brookshire Awards. I said, yeah, well done. And it, I was pleased for him because Dan had won a personal award where he'd won newcomer yeah. before. I'd yeah. won Southern. So for Alton, that really was special. And I was I was glad for him. Yeah, good and well deserved. Absolutely well deserved. So and another thing I wanted to ask you about was um I know you're doing online education now. I saw that on your website, so I'm assuming you're still doing it. So so yeah. is that a is that a result of COVID? Talk to us about that. Y- yeah, so I mean, good friend of mine, um, Paul Watts who is a Joyco um, platform artist. And um, he, I got on with um, him and said, what is this all about, this YouTube? And he showed me. And I did some YouTube um, tutorials. And um, I must admit, it's, it's not my bag. <laughs> I find being in a room with people, I feed off and doing it live is what I like. And in lockdown, I've been doing a lot of, education for Europe because obviously being the ambassador for Joyco, we're teaching on head blocks um, to the computer and seeing them and doing step-by-steps. It doesn't give me the buzz, but I know the way the world is. We, that's what we've had to be been doing. And then when I got with Paul, he said, why don't you do some, um, go on live with um, YouTube? So I did. You know, I've, I've had a dabble at it. I haven't thrown it because when I look at Paul, he's working at it 24-7 every day doing it, growing. I had a little dabble. I got to 80, 90 people and, you know, I was asking them what they want to see. Would you like to see men's barbering? Would you like to see graduation? And it's funny, you know, Anthony, I did a haircut which was a little bit different and it had X amount of likes and it was just a quirky little haircut, pink and violet on a live model. But then I did a graduation haircut block Bob, which everybody's doing. And mm. people like Dove Palmer, Janish Mackey, they're amazing at it. And that, so I thought I'd just do a basic graduated Bob. That is the one 
that everyone liked. That is the mm. one where it had the most likes and most comments. You know, and I just feel there's hundreds of them out there. So why mm. do I need to bother? If I've got to go down the route of doing, you know, the round graduation, the halo, the bob, the square bob, the one length, there's other people out there which I take my hat off to, which do it a lot better than me. So, and they can get that free education out there. They don't need me. So I stopped. That's how yeah. I felt. Okay. I haven't got an ego about getting a growth of number of how many followers. That's never been me. Mm. I've always been about teaching young people, growing the youth and giving back everything I can to my industry. I mean, I was fame team manager for five years. Mm. I was the only manager for the British fame team that did it for five years because I did it for the first two and it, I took it to another level and they asked me to do it again. Mm. So I went five years for the fellowship. And I built the fame team was their jewel in the crown. And I made it so much stronger. Hence, I went to Australia five times with the fame mm. team. It was amazing okay. times. Is, is, I've often wondered, is fame an acronym? It's the, the, the fame team, as in fame team for Fellowship for British Hairdressing. It yeah. stands for the Fellowship Academy of Merit of Excellence. Oh, and right. we, it is an acronym. Great. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we, we, we shortened it to fame because it was so much easier. Oh, definitely. And, um, yeah, no, no, suits. I mean, hairdressers love the thought of a yeah. bit of fame. <laughs> yeah, but all these kids, they're young and it's given them the experience and yeah. mentoring with yeah. top icons in the industry. And yeah. they had a year. Of, um, when I left it, I handed it over to Anthony LaCarta. And then Anthony LaCarta was leaving. And then I went and got Nick Irwin. And Nick Irwin mm. ran it for three years and did a phenomenal job. And, and Nick put a different spin on it as well mm. because. Nick came from a session background and, you know, where I was a salon hairdresser. Mm. So he took it to another level, another well, level. I think, yeah, I think it's good that they experience different sides of the industry. And that is something that you do really well. You have done so many different things from salon owner, platform artists, you know, uh, now you're talking about the social media things that you're doing. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the product line, because I know that's another thing you've done is gone and develop your own uh, product line. Tell us a, a little bit about that. What was, what's the idea behind that, that you woke up one day and thought the world really needs another product line? Uh, well, and it is beautiful, by the way. I love the packaging and everything of it. But just give us a sort of an overview of what it's like to start your own professional product brand. I think you've got to be a little bit crazy. Okay. And I mean, the, the the arguments it caused between the brothers because obviously the investment came from our company and it's joint four of us own it but I was the lead person in going with the brand sourcing the brand making the brand and in the beginning in the early days it's like a bucket with a hole in you are throwing money into that bucket and you're thinking when is this going to stop <laughs> and it's a case of you think you're going to invest £50,000 and then it goes to £100,000 and then it's £150,000 mm. and you've got pressure from your three siblings saying to you, come on, that's it now, pull the plug. It's not happening. And I've got to, and, I, and I've said it before, my ego and passion and drive was I'm going to see this to the end. Mm. And I even said to the brothers when they wanted to pull the plug, I'll tell you what, then I'll carry on with my money. Yeah. I'll do it with my money because I was so passionate and I believed in my product. And is that what you've but, done? Yeah. Uh, so, so well, no, your, because, right. oh, so no, 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 yeah, yeah. because me saying that they believed in me and they gave me more rope. 
Yeah. And the, the product now, it does wash its face. It's, it's been slow. Um, I've spoken many times to Mark Woolley, who owns Electric, and he said, yeah. Bruno, it took me 10 years. Mm. And I feel, you know, I'm, it'll be five years this October, and it does okay. It makes me, or it makes us a little income. It's mm. not massive. You know, I've got it in over 20 salons. Yes, I would love to have it in 200 salons. Mm. You know, when I started back in 2014, I had the idea I wanted paraben and sulfate-free. Now, everybody's got paraben and sulfate-free. Mm. But because I was a small person, it took me two years to bring it to market to 2016. Whereas there were people, I remember speaking to Jamie Stevens. He said, oh, you've got a product range. I'm starting one next, next month. And he literally got with Boots and he launched his brand and it was as quick as that. Whereas mm. I had to do everything step by step. And I didn't realize, I actually thought when I started the brand, it would take one year to come to fruition. And mm. I didn't realize that each product I did then I had to have it all ticked off in a Bible like this for Europe. Yeah. Then on top of that, he had to go through a 36-weeks test of each product for mold, for heat, in a fridge, on a window, you know, all these, mm. which I never even imagined. Mm. So it took me two years to get the brand to fruition. And then on top of that, you have to do photo shoots to support the brand. You have to have, you know, your packaging, the bags, what they take it away at away and it's all high end you have to have it to look and then you think well this is cost do you pitch it at 18 pound 22 pound and then if you're mm -hmm. doing things like that you're competing with top brands like Shuramura and Weller and you know or do I go a cheap brand and, and keep it down here so there's so many which I did not realize until I sure. basically went in with the attitude I remember Richard Branson saying do you know what when you when you, you're not sure just say you can and then deal with it as it unfolds. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> yeah. It was one of them. I, I think where, that's how most hairdressers work period like in business. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. we'll make this work. I don't know how, but we will. So, yeah. um, okay. and, but I also drew confidence from my, the partner in it. Who's got a partnership was the chemist yeah. Gavin, who's a real good guy. And, um, you know, we've, we've made some good products and one of our products in the range is award winning. So I'm mm. happy. Yes. It's slow. And, I'm looking for more openings, but um, it yeah. will get there. I'm not giving up. Okay. Well, for my American audience that are listening to this, uh, when you said it's washing its face, I just want them to understand that you're not talking about a, 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 a skin it's cleanser. It's covering it's itself a, it's with an, my, yes. yeah. it's an Yes. It's an English expression for breaking even sort yes, of thing. Yes, it's breaking yeah? even. Breaking exactly. even? Right. Okay. Exactly. Whereas but, I'm so not in an overdraft now. I'm in good. Good. Well, that's a that's a yeah. good place to be for you, and it's onward yeah. and upward. So it's a it's a professional line. It's not a retail line. Yes, it's a professional line. Okay, and it's uh, a professional line, yeah, and so, we've also put it out there on social media websites, so clients can actually other people can buy it as well for consumer. Yeah. yeah. So if and you we were giving, if you were giving someone advice some young hairdresser listening to this is thinking of, Oh, I, I, it looks easy. I think I'll do my own line. Uh, would you tell them not to? Now what I know, I would say you've got to have big buckets of cash. Uh -huh. <laughs> it is very hard. You've got to be a person which is going to follow that dream all the way through. Yeah. And I would honestly looking back now, I would say I wouldn't do it. Right. Okay. I I wouldn't do it. 
Yeah. I, I feel I've got in so deep that I've got to see it through now. And I've got, yeah. it's got to, you know, I've gone through the four bad years. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'd say now it's start, I can start seeing improvement. I mean, I've got my nephew who works on Teo constantly with the advertising. I mean, I don't know if you see it now, it's all changed. We, we do it with all the ingredients and the coconut, the nut oil, every, mm. all our imagery has changed because he's full time on it all the time working. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, with Julie doing all the admin side, taking the orders, working with our distributors, mm. it's two people working on the product full time now. Yeah, um, good, as good. Well as looking after us distributors and checking in with the salons that have it. I mean, yeah. I honestly thought me having that brand with the Mark Anti artistic team and all the technical and the support we could drive this through people's salons with no issues whatsoever, but it hasn't mm. been the case. Right. Okay. So one of the things you've alluded to, whether you're talking about the products uh, or everything you've touched on uh, and the mere fact that you're a family business is that the team is a really, it's like the red line that runs through everything that you do. And, and team is really important to you, whether it's family or, you know, you've mentioned both Elton and Dan a couple of times who are not family, but, you know, they've been there forever. So, so what I wanted to ask you about is how do you create a team culture you know, you've been very successful with winning team awards, et cetera. You know, you've got these four we, salons, like you did have 70-odd staff. So well, yeah, what's the key we, to it? We, we've always, I mean, we've always had done big events twice a year with all our salon groups. So, mm. and what's been good is our juniors have grown up together. So what I mean by that is, is because all our juniors train in the same place from all the salons together, they all know each other. So when they become stylists, if Sally and Woodley is off sick, we can send Charlotte from Caversham across there and she knows everybody in there because everyone knows each other, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we've always had, um, we do two big events every year, our Christmas event and we have the summer garden party event. And all the team comes together. It's, it's around Simon's house because he's got the biggest house. His, his garden is like the size of a football pitch. And we do pizzas and all the team buy into it. It, it works out at X amount per head. And it's a big dance evening. We have a live band and it's creating a nice atmosphere. We used to take him out on a boat, but now Simon's got the mansion. So we take them all around his house. Yeah. And uh, it's just creating a fun atmosphere. We've always, I've always been in me. Yes, we work hard in the salon, but we have a lot of fun time. And I think you've got to have fun time and that is so important. It's not about just being mundane and coming to work and doing the salon clients every day. Yes, that is a big part of it. But if you can't have fun, um, we have a lot of fun in our salons. Um, and I believe, you know, Fridays and Saturdays, the busiest day is normally the day when it's most fun. The champagne's fine and everyone's happy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's about building the team so that they feel their worth as well. I mean, yeah. most of my team have been with me 10, 15, 20 years. The ones I've lost in lockdown, you know, obviously they've moved on, but they were people that were with me 15, 20 years. Yeah. And that's in that they want to do something different now. And I don't mm. begrudge them it. And I have got no anything against them. I feel it's their choice and they're brave to move on and do other things. I think it's mm. great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What, um, I mean, I know you've, you've alluded to the fact that you've got the next generation of family um, in there as well. 
Um, and hairdressing being what hairdressing is, you, you always have a lot of young people working in there. So what I wanted to ask you about is for someone who's been in the industry, you know, over 30 years, probably getting closer to 40 years, what changes do you see in terms of young people today, in terms of like Gen Z, what, what changes do you see in terms of the needs, the expectations that they have uh, as employees, as being in the workforce compared to, say, you know, 20 years ago? I feel the youngsters today, they want it like tomorrow. Yeah. That is the biggest thing for me. Mm. I mean, I've just come off the back of judging the British Hairdressing Business Awards and I was judging the juniors category, which was really interesting. And I felt for some of these guys because they've been kind of worked in three different salons and they're still a junior at the age of 24, 25, mm. because the previous salons have kept them sweeping the floor. And, and I feel the salon owners have got a lot to answer for because mm. when they join you, they're not a cleaner. They're not just, you know, yeah, they've got to make a coffee and sweep the floor now and then, but you should be having their three-month program in front of them so they can get excited and see where they're going to be in those three months and then six months because that is how we do things. We've changed a lot to cater for the youth of today because now every time they do a haircut in training, they take a picture of it. They put it on their social media site. Mm. We didn't used to have that then. You know, yeah. they want, and then they're getting rewards back from Joe Public. Oh, that looks lovely. That's your first haircut. Well done. Congratulations. They thrive off stuff like that. Yeah. Back in my day, it wasn't. We didn't get that. So it's, it's a different type of drug. I was getting it from my client telling me, oh, my gosh, Bruno, that's amazing. That's fantastic. You've done my hair so nice. That was it, the one-off. They're mm. getting six hits from people saying, oh, ten hits. Oh, that color's beautiful. That's lovely. That's what drives them now. It's mm. changed so much. But I feel with salon owners, there are still salon owners out there, and I'm so passionate about this, that are treating the youngsters awfully. You know, if someone's come to you and, get, and they want to learn hairdressing, then you've got to have a program for the next six months where they're going to be, the next 12 months and so on and so on. We guarantee at Mark Anthony, with 18 months, you should be on the salon floor. We have in six months, the first three months you're doing colour. You're, you're applying tint applications and semi-permanents. At the end of six months, you know how to do um, half a head of highlights. Mm. By the end of 10 months, you're on the floor doing highlights. You've got to have a goal and you've got, and, and people say to me when I've said this before, oh, but that's market. No, no, no. Everyone can do that. Whether you're a one salon owner with three staff and, and a junior, you can still, the one thing I was taught early on is give the youngsters your time mm. and they will grow that much quicker. If you don't want to, then it's down to you. That's why your salon is not as successful as others because you're not investing in the training and you're not giving these youngsters that are giving their time up to come work for you you should be giving them as much as possible. And yep. we I, give... I, I totally agree. Sorry, We on. give that full day's training every week, but then <clears throat> our managers give extra. Because <clears throat> as I say, say to my managers down and out in, I want you to make another down and out in, <clears throat> you know? Because I used to give out in two... We always said when we were doing the training, if you can bring in extra models, then we will train you even more. So you bring... <clears throat> it doesn't matter what evening. Out in would literally bring in two or three every bloody evening mm. and keep me there many late nights. And my wife, <laughs> my wife used to say to me, you're late night again, working without. And I said, but the guy's like a sponge. He wants it. Mm. But I love doing that. Mm. Yeah. And 
I, I, I use Alton and Dan as figureheads to my youngers, younger ones yeah. because I say, look, these guys came into hairdressing and I always use this tagline, follow your passion and not the money because mm. the money then follows you. And I've yeah. always said that, you know, 100%, that's what it's been about. I came into hairdressing because I loved what I did. And mm. I never thought for one minute I'd travel the world, I'd do this, I'd do that. I never thought a pair of scissors would have taken me and given me the career it's given me. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I meet salon owners or you see it on various forums, on social media, whatever, all over the world. And salon owners blame someone else for the no. caliber of their staff. They blame the colleges. They yeah. blame the apprenticeship system. No. They blame the schools that they've come out of. And if you open a salon, it becomes your responsibility to train people. It's no one else's job to do it. And, you know, it's good to hear you talk like that because I 100% agree with you that, you know, the colleges, whether you're talking in the UK, the US, Australia, they will get people to a certain level, but it's not their job to turn your people into superstars. It's, it's uh, it, you know, it's a salon owner's job to put together. And you alluded to it. You said, our training program, uh, our three-month program, you said. And so many salons don't have a training program. They just sort of expect these people to arrive and be, you know, competent at what they do or, and or just to pick up stuff, you know, that they see going on around them. But you need to put together a, a comprehensive program to fast-track people through. As you were just rattling off, by month three, they can do this. By month six, they can do that. By month yeah. 10, they can do the other. And that's what people need today more than ever. And if you're not prepared yeah. to do that, then why did you open the salon? But, 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 then, but then for the youngster, they know where they're going. They can see yeah. the path. Yes, and they know, exactly. you know, I took on a young girl from a shoe shop who was yeah. 19. And I said, this is how it's going to set out. But because you're 19 and she had more people skills where she was dealing with customers than a 16 year old, I said, I guarantee possibly 16 to 18 months, I can have you on the salon floor because you're going to fly. I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Because she had the people skills. Whereas in the early days, when you're dealing with a 16 year old or a 17 year old, it's, you know, you have to... I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, you have to say, you know, you ask the client like this politely. You have to do it this way. You have yeah, to speak like that. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not like, do you want a drink? It's, yeah. Would you like a cup of coffee? <laughs> would you like a tea? But it's all these little things. Yeah, no, exactly. We don't, we don't necessarily, and you know, come whereas, out of the wound you know, understanding how to do that. Exactly. Whereas Michael Van Clark, he will not take any junior on under 23. Yeah. They've got to be 23 years old and above. He will not have anyone at that mm. age. Because his clientele, his spend is, is massive. Mm. So, and I understand that. And you can mm. see why. Because they're paying for this, you know, the whole ambience of the place. So it's horses for courses. But I do feel that there are so many salons that just take on a junior for sweeping and cleaning and think, and I feel sorry for those kids because that's going to be a year or two years wasted of their life. And they yeah. get pushed on. Yeah. Whereas and, and me, then, I, I look at the youngster with lots of, when I interview them, they got lots of, you know, great atmosphere. They got personality. They're the people I want to be in my salon. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, I wanted to wanted to ask you as a as a business owner. I wanted to ask you some things about the the financial side. You know, the money side of business. So you've sort of already touched on this, but it was very quick, and you really just glossed over it. Um, and it was about the, uh, the profitability of salons. 
And, um, you know, I do a lot of work with a lot of salons in a lot of different countries. And I'm, I'm often intrigued as to what salon owners think a realistic profit margin is. So as someone who's been in business for a long time, who's had, you know, up to seven salons, what would you suggest as a percentage of total sales that a realistic profit margin is? And I'm talking profit over and above after the owner has been paid, because that's the biggest problem I find when you talk to salon owners, they talk about what they're paid as being the profit and what they're paid is, uh, is not the profit, it's what they're being paid. So wh- what would you say a percentage of total sales is that should be a uh, profit margin so a, a salon you're, you're talking on, so I just want to clarify this. So you're, when you say sales, you're not talking about retail, are you? You're talking about the total, um, total. figure of the turnover of yeah. the salon. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if the salon turns over X, then the profit of that is yeah. What percentage? Yeah. Christ, Simon, I need Simon here for that. I, I mean, going on with our account because we sit our managers down with our accountants so they understand the percentages okay. on well, our you've profit. Al- you've already answered it earlier on. Yeah. Where you so, said so if I'm making seven just, or yeah, eight this, pence. Yeah. So, th- so this is what I was going to say to you. So basically. So that our managers have a good understanding, we have, they have a day with our accountants so they can understand every penny that goes into that till yeah. and has an understanding of what goes out. So I, I, for me, I would say between 4 and 6%. Between 4 and 6 yeah. yeah. I, I would say that that is, on average, what salons are achieving. And now yeah. occasionally you meet someone who's making 10 15 even 20%, you know, but, but, uh, but, but it's rare. It's very rare, uh, no matter what but, country but, you're talking but about. You see, we, we all pay ourselves our salary. So you said to me, this is after our salaries are pa- yeah. paid. Mm. Um, so 100%. I mean, it's like I have, when I do some um, retail courses, I mm. sit with people and they say to me, when I ask them, you know, what's your uh, retail with color? And they say, oh, easily 80%. Yeah. And I'm like, 80%. Really? Mm. 80%. Mm. And they don't have, I was going to say Scooby-Doo, they don't have a clue when mm. it actually comes to their business. They assume it's 80%, you know. I know the figures because I look at them and, you know, ours is like 48% is colour, mm. okay. But then we have stylists which do 65 and 70%, but then I've got others which do 22%. Mm. So it brings it all down to an even where I'm at. Um, yeah. Color is a big part of the business, but so is retail. It's like I go to people that do retail salons, and, and one retail salon, they had like fifty percent retail, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to delve into that and find out why. And then when I did, they basically included it into their color service. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it made their it, it was it was a very clever way to do it. But that was the way they opened up their salon from day one. So sure. it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, so when we talk about retail, then uh, what what sort of percentage of your total sales would come from retail as a ballpark figure? Retail, we pitch all our salons. They have to do ten percent, right? And basically, I deal with my managers. So, if a salon doesn't come in each quarter at ten percent, then they have to answer to me. They normally yeah. do, but we have stylists. How we how we pay? We pay our stylists. Those that do 10% and above get their retail and it's paid quarterly. So it's totally separate and you can see it in your wage pack because yeah. so many salons say, oh, we pay them retail. 
And when I speak to the stylist, well, how much retail? Well, I don't know. It was in with my wages. Mm. Ours is separate every 12 weeks is paid mm. so they can see it in their wages. And yeah. if you do over 15%, then you get paid 15%. So between mm. 10 and 14.9, you get paid your 10% of your retail. Mm -hmm. You hit over 15%, we pay you 15%. Right. Okay, great. And I think and that's, that's how it works. Paying it quarterly because then they get yeah. a big, they get a big it's chunk a, it's of money. Yeah, yes. some of them get between five and seven hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of money. That's a, that's a thousand dollars. You know, for yeah, well, it, it, if it was eight hundred, eight hundred pounds, yeah. it'd be a thousand US dollars. So, yeah. so it's, it's, it's a, a nice lump sum. Yeah, on top definitely. of their wages. Yeah. Okay. So, what what sort of system do you have for paying a stylist wages? How do you how do you structure so, that? We we have with our wage system, our stylists go from so we have tiers we have a graduate stylist we have a senior stylist and we have principal stylists there are three tiers in the salon and then on top of that we've got um artistic team members which are people like dan Elkin, marcus and myself so that is the three tiers that the general stylist works in the salon so when they come onto the salon floor they come in as a graduate stylist and then we monitor them to do a thousand pounds a week once they're doing a thousand pounds a week, it kicks into 30% is what they get paid. Okay. Once they're doing that regularly and constantly, then basically we view it over a period of four to six months and then they move up to a stylist. Now, a stylist, you can earn a percentage right up to 37.5%. Okay. But mm -hmm. obviously, the stylist, the price structure of a stylist compared to a principal and a senior is less, okay? So the maximum a stylist can actually take you in the salon is on the price structure on our um, systems is up to 1,800 pounds, okay? Now, over 1,800 pounds, they get, oh, sorry, over um, 1,800 pounds, they get 35% of that money. So between 1,800 and 2,004, they get 35%. Mm -hmm. But a stylist, the senior stylist, can only do get to 1,800. So they would be on 32.5%. Mm -hmm. Okay. We monitor that for a period of time. And then it's kind of like they get um, a rise because once they've been hitting cons consistently 1,800 pounds as a senior stylist, and they've been doing that regularly for six months, then we move them to a senior stylist, sorry, from a stylist to a senior stylist. Mm -hmm. Straight away, a senior stylist price and what they've been doing at 1800 becomes 2100 just with the instant price increase. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking too fast here, am I? No, no, no. Definitely got it. Yeah, no. yeah. So it goes to, to that price straight away. So now they can earn 35% mm -hmm. instantly of what they were getting instead of 32 and a half. So they've got an instant rise. But now by them doing the business, they can, as a senior stylist, you can start taking 2,500 mm. pounds a week, which then you hit that magic figure of 37.5%. Yeah, okay. Which is All right. our top pay. Well, that's very interesting. I, I love uh, your openness and in sharing that, you know, talking about those figures. And I know a lot of people listening to this uh, will value that as well. There's so many more things I could talk to you about, but unfortunately we are – sort of running out of time, but I, I have um, six questions that I want to ask you that are sort of one-word answers. It's not one right. word. They're, 
They're two or three words. Okay. They're not. They're not. They're not. <laughs> they're not a great monologue. Uh, so, first one is: What's your biggest strength? I will never say no. Never say no. Okay. Uh, what, what drives you? What drives me? I, I, I've always been like a racehorse. I go full on. If the door's closed, I want to open it. <laughs> I've always been that person. Okay, that'll do. All right. Um, how do you stay relevant? How do you keep reinventing yourself? You know, you've started off with your dad in a barbershop and your brother a long time ago, and the business has evolved and evolved and evolved, and we've touched on some of the different things, you know, in terms of technology and changing attitudes. Um, so, so how do you stay relevant and at the top of your game? I feel now, I think, with what I've done and what I've achieved so far is given me so much confidence that I know I've done it. And I'm in a place now where I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And whereas before, okay, and this is not a one word answer. I'm sorry. It's but not, is it? before, <laughs> I'd always go out on stage and I would be a little bit nervous. Now I'm so much more relaxed because I feel I've arrived and what I've achieved, you know, I've, I've got the badges. So it's proven. It's not like I'm fake. I'm there. So I feel so confident. And when yeah. people say, how are you going to involve? I'm not, I'm going to do what I do best. And that is, I'm going to carry on teaching. I give hundred percent of people and they can see that it's real. And I do it in a humble way. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, this one doesn't have to be about hairdressing, but what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in life? Oh my God. That's an easy one. Ne I would say this to everyone, never throw all your eggs in one basket in business. I've okay. done that once and I got burnt badly. Always, okay. you know, look at the bigger picture because I actually thought that it was all going to work out fantastic and I relied and put all my eggs in one person's basket and they let me down badly. Right. Okay. All so right. I, would, I would never do that again. All right. Okay. Well, final thing I want to ask you is what do you wish you were better at? What do I wish I was better at? <laughs> Gosh, Anthony, that's a hard one. Um, I don't know, really. No? Okay. I don't know. Okay. I, well, we'll, we'll what do I wish one. I was better at? I think I'm a good listener. Um, I, uh, what would I wish I was better at? Maybe having more, a bit more patience. Okay. All right. That'll yeah. do. That's a good one. That's a yeah. good one to end on. Okay. So um, whereabouts, uh, Bruno, can people connect with you on Instagram or other social channels? So I've got Bruno Mark 10, which is my Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I'm on Facebook is, is the same. So, yeah, that is basically it. I mean, I get messaged mainly through my Instagram. Right. That's where okay. most people contact me. Okay, Bruno well, Mark 10. I'll put those. Uh, that's Bruno, B-R-U-N-O-M-A-R-C. And is, is it the yeah. numeral 10 or the word 10? Yeah. The well, numeral 10. Number 10. Yeah, number 10. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll put those uh, in, the, uh, in the show notes and also the link to the Mark Anthony website. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast with Bruno Mark Giamatte, uh, Very good. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to make sure I pronounced it the, the right way. So I've written it down phonetically so they didn't get it right. But anyway, if you're listening to this podcast with Bruno, if you enjoyed it, please do me a favor. Uh, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories and, uh, and let us know what you thought of it. So um, to wrap up, Bruno, thank you ever so much for giving us your time this afternoon to be on this episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. 
No, thank you, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, man. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.